Hey guys, uh, just a heads up, I accidentally recorded on my video camera mic <laughs> this whole episode, so it's going to be a lot worse audio quality, but bear with me because I think it's really important content and uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it back out again in the same fashion. So here it is. Enjoy. back to another episode of the Unfounded Pod- Podcast, guys. Sorry for the confusion <laughs> over the last episode. Uh, I'll kind of explain what happened with that here uh, in a couple minutes, but um, welcome back. I'm glad to be back on here. Um, it's been a rough week for me, man. like a really rough week. You know, um, I really tried to do good on some of those promises, <laughs> that promise that I made to you, right? I'm going to try to do good on that. Um, and that's partially what happened with that first episode or that last episode. I don't know if any of you guys actually got to listen to it, but essentially what happened uh, is I recorded the episode and I talked about some really, really personal things in that episode. Um, the most personal things I could think of, literally the, 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 the skeletons that, as I considered them skeletons in my closet that I hadn't revealed to really anybody in the world. Um, I talked about those and then I, you know, all I could do, you know, cause it was such a scary concept was just press send on it right? and, and send it out into the world. And and then proceeded to have conversations with my family and friends about what I had talked about before they listened to it so they would understand as well. Uh, and then after the podcast, it was only the first episode I didn't listen to. Like I sent it and I just didn't listen to it because I ended up going out with some friends um, and doing some stuff that day. And it was about 12 hours later when I came home. Uh, it was later at night and I went to listen to it finally. Uh, when I went to check on it, many of you may experience this with that episode, but something really, really odd had happened. Um, 45 minutes of the episode had no audio, but then the very last song that I had put into the episode played. And I don't know if any of you got to that point, but there was still a song at the very end. For some reason, it wasn't just a blank track. I had posted the track, but all of the audio of me talking was gone. And it was only one tiny song at the very end. Now, I don't know what you want to chalk that up to. Um, I'm looking at that as a sign for me that I had to do some more thinking, that there was something about that episode that wasn't really aligned well um, with this podcast, right? Uh, and I think I've kind of identified what that is. And I want to go back through what I talked about now that I've gotten that out. I've gotten the stress out because part of what the issue with that episode was, uh, was I was so scared that I was very jittery. I was talking all over the place. I was very anxious and I wasn't doing a very good job of communicating what I meant. And so I'm going to try to do that in this episode. Okay. Um, but what I want to talk about first uh, I actually was reading an article this morning and I found it incredibly fascinating um, and really, really practical and useful uh, and actually relates very well to what I'm doing right now with the podcast. Um, and I really hope that you try to join me on this journey of uh, making ourselves vulnerable, right? Um, so what I'm going to do here, and I don't usually do this, but I think this is such a fantastic article that I'm going to read most of this to you. Uh, this article uh, I got off of medium.com. Uh, and it's posted by Sebastian Purcell, PhD. Okay, this is written by him. And it's titled, The Hardest Stoic Spiritual Exercise and Why It's Crucial for Happiness. The Key Lies in a Unique Form of Courage. Now, I've talked a little bit about Stoicism itself. Um, Marcus Aurelius is one of the original uh, Stoics or one of the most famous Stoics. Uh, but I think Zeno uh, was the original. Yes, Zeno was the original Stoic philosopher, right? Um, and what this kind of does is explain some of those perspectives to us 
uh, so that we can understand kind of the practicality behind the Stoicism philosophy uh, and how you can actually use it in your life to make yourself uh, a better individual, a more round, well-rounded individual, somebody that's better, uh, um, that's more adept at handling the chaos naturally and inherent within the world, right? So let's go ahead and get started. Like I said, this is not my work. This is Sebastian Purcell's work. Um, and I'm going to post this in the show notes site links so that you under, so you can look at it yourself if you want. But I think it's very important to start with what he talks about here and go from there. So uh, let's start this. The hardest stoic spiritual exercise and why it's crucial for happiness. The key lies in the unique form of courage. Zeno, the founder of Stoicism in ancient Greece, is said to have begun his studies in philosophy by tutoring under Crates, a cynic. One of the first things Zeno learned as a result was to practice not being ashamed of things that were not shameful. To reinforce this lesson, Crates apparently had Zeno walk around with a pot, of, pot full of lentil soup in public places. When he saw that Zeno was embarrassed and tried to keep the pot out of sight, Crates broke it by striking it with his staff. Zeno ran away, mortified. When he did, Crates called out, Why run away, my little Phoenician? Nothing terrible has befallen you. And of course, nothing bad had happened to Zeno. He only worried that other people might think ill of him. And this worrying about what other people thought was something that Zeno eventually learned to overcome. It's something that you and I, everyone really, must learn if we are, are going to be happy and live a good life. Because if you want to achieve that goal, if you want to live a good life, then you need to be relatively unconcerned with other people's opinions for two reasons. First, this is important, you will otherwise end up living the life that they think you should have, not yours. And second, you will otherwise end up playing a game, the recognition game, that you cannot win. And he's going to go on to explain why. I think the first point is obvious. If you are always trying to please other people, to live by what they think, then there will be nothing left of your life for you to decide. Simple, right? Makes sense. The second point is pretty obvious too. There is always a bigger fish. If you think you, that you can win the recognition game, you are wrong. If you think you're ever going to be recognized for how, if you unrestrain yourself, how much you love yourself, you're never going to be recognized in the same way that you think about yourself. Get it? Right? Yeah. If you let your ego run out of control, you're never going to be recognized for that. You're never going to be top dog forever. To illustrate, think of it this way. Marketers develop what is called a Q score to measure how popular various celebrities are. Their goal was to allow large firms to use these scores to more effectively advertise to their fan base. And I think you've kind of seen this on that was IMDb. I think they have uh, scores like that on, on actors. At one point, Obama was on top of the list, which is weird because he's not an actor. It's <laughs> 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 a really weird concept to bring up the president, ex-president of the United States uh, context. And anyway, um, now he's not because he's just not. Now he's not because he's just not in the news as much. Let me go ahead and start that over because that was a little disjointed. Their goal was to allow large firms to use those scores to more effectively advertise to their fan base. At one point, Obama was on top of that list. Now he's not because he's just not in the news as much. Even if you win at that game, in short, you will be replaced. There's always somebody coming behind you. There's always somebody that's going to be a little shinier eventually, right? What these points mean is that we all need to learn. We all need to practice not worrying about other people's opinions about us. And while they are actually harder stoic actions, there are harder stoic actions such as dying freely or, or stoic concepts, right? This practice is the hardest of the daily activities you could perform. The 20th century philosopher of Greek antiquity, Pierre Hadot, called these practices that help you become a better person spiritual exercises because they are like medicine for your soul rather than your body. Nothing more true than that. To put the goal memorably, to live an invulnerable life, you must practice daily vulnerability. Mm-hmm. In less paradoxical language, to achieve stoic happiness, 
where events outside your control don't ruin your life. You have to address the sources of your shame. You have to be vulnerable. There's a necessity to it. You have to, right? But the exercise of vulnerability understood in the way that people normally think of the concept then is nothing, is nothing but courage, as the Stoics thought of that. That's my main claim. I completely agree with them. What I'm going to do is explain two spiritual exercises concerning shame and vulnerability following the Stoics so that you can learn to live a happier life in that explanation. I'll also make my case that what's at stake is courage. Let's begin with the easier version of these exercises. Social vulnerability. I'm going to stop after we get um, past these two explanations. I don't want to read the entire thing, right? Um, because I'm definitely going to talk in depth on this, right? Um, but I do want to give you the practicality that he explains here because it's, it's, it's very useful in your life. Social vulnerability. We no longer have the Republic that Zeno wrote, but apparently it was controversial in classic, classical antiquity. He prohibited the building of temples, laws, courts, and gymnasiums in his supposed utopia. Further, Diogenes tells us he, he bids men and women wear the same dress and keep no part of the body entirely covered. It's a really weird concept, huh? Seems kind of perverted or something, right? <laughs> but that's not what he means by it. Why would Zeno want people to wear androgynous clothes that didn't cover all parts of the body? The Stoic lesson here seems to be that people become too conscious of what other people think about them and they try wrongly to conform to social norms, right? These include, And this is something, a concept that's, that's very popular in the left right now, right? Um, and there is a kernel of truth in it, but it's been expanded out to a really impractical idea. Instead of saying, hey, um, society, needs, I need to change, you're trying to change society itself, which is an impossible task because it's not something that one person controls. Get it? Right. So the whole, like, it's like what a lot of the liberalism, modern liberalism does is take the, uh, the classical liberal idea and pervert it into something that twists it into a lazy thing. And that's kind of what a lot of modern liberalism is, is a lazy, is a, is a, is a lazy attempt at changing the world. Anyway, these include uh, how certain genders should act and the idea that some parts of the body are shameful. Let me read that one more time. The stoic lesson here seems to be that people become too conscious of what other people think about them, and they try wrongly to conform to social norms. These include how certain genders should act and the idea that some parts of the body are shameful. This doesn't mean that to, pr- to practice stoic vulnerability, you have to wear a sackcloth or wander around naked, though maybe Zeno would have liked nudism. Uh, to practice social vulnerability, the main thing you need to do is learn not to be trapped by social categories and expectations about them. I've talked about this a little bit, right? Don't let people put you in boxes. I'll give you some examples broken down by gender, since that's an important social category. For men, the challenge can be put this way. Can you do girly things? Could you, for example, order a Cosmo as a drink? Could you go to a yoga class? For women, the challenge can be to perform masculine activities. Or for women, the challenge can't be to perform masculine activities, at least not simply. The reason is that when women do masculine things, they still tend to be thought good, or at least not so bad. A woman, for example, who can chug a beer in four seconds will command the respect of the bros at the local bar. A better example, then, might be no makeup challenges that they see that you see celebrities perform occasionally. When not using makeup, women aren't explicitly crossing into masculine categories. It's just a vulnerability, plain and simple. Exactly. A friend of mine practiced vulnerability as a woman in an unusual way. She had been dating a guy, also a friend, for a bit. After going to dinner, the meal they just had to the, the meal just didn't sit with her well. So she simply announced the fact and then farted in the car. <laughs> Not exactly the sexiest thing for a woman to do, but her boyfriend laughed it off and they're engaged now. So something good came of that show of vulnerability. Exactly right. How to practice this. Now I'm gonna go ahead and hold on one second. How to, I'll read this part too and then we'll stop there. Whatever your gender, what you are after is an effective cognition, a feeling. The thought goes like this. They're looking at me and I'm not as I'm supposed to be, supposed to be, quotation marks. 
Well, this concept is supposed to be something we have to tear down because your expectations are the ideas. That's, that is your ego telling you what you're supposed to be. The Stoics called this an immediate impression. It's not fully rational yet. You need to stop yourself from just agreeing to these impressions so that you can, you can figure out if they are right. The crucial part is to discern whether the evaluative portion of that feeling makes sense. Yes, they are looking at me, but that's not a big deal. Also, yes, I'm not conforming to social norms. I'm not as I'm supposed to be. But why does that matter? Why is that bad? See, follow that, 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 you know, ask yourself those questions. Have that internal dialogue. What was so wrong about Zeno holding a pot of lentils in, in public? I'm sure when I read that at the beginning, you, you were kind of like lentils in public. Why would anybody be exactly the point? That's exactly why. It, why would you be embarrassed of that? Exactly. That's exactly what you do every day, too. You know, makeup is the same thing as a lentil soup. What's so bad about a guy ordering a Cosmo? Exactly. What's so terrible about a woman farting? Nothing. Find that feeling and learn to separate out that part that holds that is... Find that feeling and learn to separate out that part that holds that it's a bad thing. That's a very hard sentence. It's not. Your life as a whole is not going worse because of what they think. But if you give into that irrational first impression, then it just might. Exactly right. So again, let me remind you that that was not my work. That was Sebastian Purcell, PhD. Now, I want to talk with you a little bit more about that. And I want to kind of give you a practical example. And I want to do that exercise with you right now with myself. And I want to do it properly with the stuff that I talked about on the last episode that, like I said, uh, didn't end up. Well, anyway, let me finish what I actually said with that too. I ended up taking it down because um, I tried to repost the actual audio. I tried to repost it. Um, but it didn't update properly. It never got out there. And so I just took it down, right? That's the reason I took down the episode because it, I didn't know if people were actually getting the proper MP3 file or if they're getting the wrong one anyway. And honestly, after I listened to it, I realized I could have done a much better job of communicating that. And that's what I'm going to do right here. So vulnerability, right? We have to find the thing that makes us uncomfortable. You know, we have to find the and, and searching for the thing that makes you uncomfortable um, is a very painful process because you will hide those things from yourself. You know, you will, you will try to take the easy path, you know? And so you have to, in, in many ways, I think sometimes practice this, like this method of, of constantly putting yourself in an uncomfortable position. Um, in like in, in other ways, that's why like the gym, I think, or exercise is very useful because it's a, it's a, it gets you to practice the mental concept of pushing yourself and constantly when, when you get over a hurdle, looking for another one. Right, because that's exactly the kind of attitude you have to have towards yourself and vulnerability, and what you're scared of. Is like as soon as you get over one, what else are you scared of? Bring that into light, right? All those things. So what I'm going to talk about now is my sexuality, um, and I'm going to try to explain what happened to me as I grew up, and then I'm going to try to explain to you how that how that affected me and my life. Um, so basically, what happened to me is I grew up Catholic, as many of you know, uh, and I had a very uh, a very kind of traditional upbringing. Um, but when I was very young, my first sexual experience was a homosexual experience. And it happened when I was really young um, with, with another person of my age, right? It wasn't, you know, like a, anything else besides that. It was, but it was still a very unnatural feeling experience, right? Um, and partially because of what I had been brought up in, right? The structure that I had been brought up in. I had been told, I had felt that um, this isn't what you're supposed to do, Right. Um, and because of that, uh, I immediately thought that I wasn't, not only had I, had I, um, done something that people wouldn't, uh, uh, look fondly on, but I'd also done something that was existentially 
threatening. That would would uh, ruin me for the rest of my life or all eternity, really. There's no concept bigger than all eternity, right? And so um, my 10-year-old brain, I got absolutely terrified of this. So terrified of the concept that I could be attracted to the male form in some way um, that uh, I, I ran away from it, right? Um, now, here's the complicated part of this. And I think sexuality is a more complicated kind of spectrum than we like to admit. It's not these little fine boxes we like to place people in the, you know, LGBT, all this, that, that, I think those boxes are kind of doing people a disservice just for that community. If anybody's listening, to that community. um, because, uh, because it's not how it manifests because my, my sexuality manifests in a really unique way because the way I, I'm, I'm very attracted to women. Right. And I've always been naturally attracted. I remember when I was a kid, like <laughs> when you feel that pull, it's unmistakable, right? You can't stop it. But what I've also always had was I think this underlying inability to separate sexuality from male and female, right? Like I still, in some ways, have the ability, I, not in some ways, I have the ability to conceptualize the male form sexually, right? That I can be attracted to the male form. It's a, for me, it's a different kind of attraction. It's, it's more of a dominance thing in a weird way with when I, if I, if I think about that with men, it's more of like a, uh, it really is kind of a dominance thing. And it makes sense to me when I look into nature that that's what I see other animals doing when they perform homosexual acts. It is a dominance act, right? Um, now, I'm not trying to explain that away as if you can't love somebody, there can't be a deeper form of that love, or it's, it's always only on dominance if you're, if you're, if you're gay, right? I, I don't think so. But this is how, like I said, this is how it manifests for me. And so um, part of what's been happening to me my whole life uh, is I have been sabotaging my own relate my, my 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 personal relationships. You know, I've told you one of the things that I am most uncomfortable with, and that gets me down the most, and, and I will get the most be the most hard on myself about is is being alone. That for the longest time, my biggest challenge through the first twenty nine years of my life has been figuring out why I can't find somebody substantial, why I can't convince people that I'm worthwhile, because that's what I feel like I've been trying to do. Right? How can I convince somebody that I'm I'm as good of a thing as I see inside of them? Right? That they? How can I find somebody that can reciprocate what I see in them? Right? They can reciprocate, be the balancing thing to me, where we can we can be a team of sorts. And what I've realized is there's no pot. I was leaving the possibility of that out because of what I because of this 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 uh, fear I had, this thing I was running away from, this deep feeling of uh, inadequacy or being wrong. Um, that was unfounded, but because I had run away from it so long, it had become such a big monster that I felt that if I ever showed it to the world, that it would ruin me. It would be the end of me period. And when I realized through that last episode, when I posted it, that that fear was there, the fear is there. You're going to be scared as shit when you do something like this. There's nothing more scary than making yourself vulnerable. But that if you allow yourself, you walk into that fear <laughs> and you allow yourself to feel it, that it goes away, <laughs> right? And that once that fear is gone, you will see the thing for what it is. And in a weird way, you get to find, finally meet the real you. And that's what I've done after 29 years. Is I'm finally saying, hey, Chris, <laughs> how are you, man? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sorry. And having that entertainment dialogue with myself, because I deserve it. That person that I hid away, you know, the person that I tried to run away from my whole life is somebody that um, is was supposed to be. 
And it was my idea of what was supposed to be that kept it from coming into fruition. Right? I think everybody has something like that. I think this is why we call this is what we call skeletons in our closet. This is why we all say we have skeletons in our closet. It's because we're all afraid of being vulnerable. But there is nothing to be afraid of except for that fear. That's what you should be afraid of because whatever happens after you speak your truth is the best possible outcome. Even if it doesn't look like it in the moment. Let's say you speak your truth and it causes a lot of pain. Let's say somebody like does kind of di- uh, disown you or whatever it is from that. Well, that's going to be a very painful process. But you know what? You don't need that person in your life. They don't know who you really are and they don't like the real you. So they can go find somebody they like. Get it? And you actually never wanted them to begin with. You never wanted them around you. But you you made yourself believe that you wanted that person because you lied to them about who you are. And that is partially your fault as well. Part of the struggle I've had as well is figuring out how do I explain this to people? Because like I said, the way I think about sexuality isn't this defined boxy nature. But when people want them to know anything like that about you, they ha- you have to speak in terms they understand. And so it's like, if I had to classify myself, I think I would classify myself as bisexual, right? But in saying that, I think it does kind of a little bit of a disservice to, to this idea, this concept of, of sexuality being kind of a, 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 a spectrum, right? Because when I say bisexual, it usually, there's this connotation with like people wanting men and women, you know, in romantic relationships. And that's not how it manifests in me. Maybe I could, I don't know at some point, but I've never met a man that I wanted to go after, like chase in that way, right? I've never wanted to chase a man and, 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 and make them mine, right? In a weird way, like make them my, my, uh, my partner, right? That's never been one of my goals, but at the same time, I still have a sexual attraction to men, right? So this is, it's a very, it's a, it's a specific difference that I don't think we enunciate that is specific to me that may be specific to other people, but I don't think we do it service by saying, Hey, you fit in this group, tell people you're in this group, right? But there is a necessity to communicate to people in the terms that they understand. So this has been a little bit of the conflict I've had as well is how do I define people what I am without them automatically jumping to the conclusion of this or that. And then also, why do I feel that that's a bad thing, right? Not a bad thing, but why do I feel scared of that? Well, I think it's because I have internalized a lot of this stuff, you know, faith-wise, that I I do have this fundamental belief that um, I think the, that male and, there's something about the male and female, the differences in the male and the female experience and perspective that allow them when combined to create the most practical means of rearing children, right? Or creating upwards movement socially. And that's because there's, it's, it's the most diverse perspectives coming together, right? Like it's very different to, to go through life as a woman than it is to go through life as a man. We both are equal in, in the fact that we are life, right? That we are experienced. We are, we are, um, being as such right but 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 uh um but the experience and all the the role demands and things that come around that those can be very very those are varied right and so um in many ways and that creates a different perspective a different viewpoint on the world that is necessary deeply necessary because one of those perspectives by themselves is not enough 
partially what we're doing modern day is saying masculinity, male perspective, it's deleted. It isn't good. It's all bad, right? And the only thing we need is more feminism, more female perspectives. That's all we need. That is so utterly wrong. It's hard to describe how wrong it is, but we are finding out actively how wrong it is, right? Um, you can see this in our political games that we're playing, right? Like Joe Biden told you he was going to pick a, pick, pick, pick a black female uh, for his running mate like two months ago. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is it a known fact that the best candidate, the best person for doing the pre- voice of the, or the job of the vice president, the best way you pick somebody by that is by the based on their genitalia and their skin color? Is that the best method? Well, then what are we doing here? Because I thought we wanted the best person in that position for to, so they would do the best job because it's really fucking important, right? But instead what we're doing is saying, oh, no, 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 we figured out what the problem is. It's this one group of people. Let's eliminate that group of people and let's automatically replace one other. Let, let's, let's put the other perspective, opposite perspective in. It's exactly what we've done politically over and over again too, right? You know, you elect Democrats into the, into positions of power. They do shit. Most of it fails, like usual. You get annoyed with it. You replace Republicans. They do the same thing. They vote in shit. Most of it fails. You get annoyed. You replace them. Round and round we fucking go because you think the solution is always the opposite because that's the simplest solution, but it's not the actual solution. The world isn't that simple. What we need is people to be vulnerable. It's for people to stop trying to fit themselves inside of boxes. It's for people to speak their truth. It's for people to explore what they are inside so that we can find novel things, novel ideas in this world, and we can propel this fucking thing upward, right? That we don't have to sit here and wait for for some um, savior to come in and and pull this, this, this right the ship, that you can do that yourself, that you don't need anybody else to do that for you. And the way you do that is figuring out what you're fucking scared of. And it's, and the reason you know, there, it, what's so beautiful about that is that there's so, like I said in the, that last episode, there are so many things you are afraid of. All you have to do is ask that question and it will immediately become apparent. You'll turn away. You won't even ask the question. You'll be so scared of, of seeing the answer. You have, you have to stop doing that. We all have to stop doing that because it's, what, it's partially what is creating the chaos in the world. Individuals devolving is what creates the, the worst atrocities in human existence. Because once I've gotten that out, right, that side, you know, explaining to people who I really am, um, there's a liberating feeling in that that is so hard to describe and is so overpowering that it's like a drug. And you have the ability to give yourself that experience. You have to choose it. Can you imagine? Sorry, that's my bridge, like doing something more about. Um, can you imagine? Just imagine for one second. Think about this. Think about everything you've ever done that you've been ashamed of, things that you haven't told people, things you've held back. Think if you let that out finally. Just try to imagine letting that out and imagine the best possible scenario happening where everybody embraces you, nobody turns away from you, nobody says anything. What do you feel? It's a kind of ecstasy that's hard to describe, right? The reason you can imagine that kind of ecstasy is because it's sitting there for you, waiting for you. That's the real you. 
You're going to feel ecstasy because you're going to align properly. Finally. That's what I'm experiencing. I can finally be who I always was meant to be. Right? I can finally, you know, not have to walk on needles around people. As if if I say the wrong thing, it's going to lead down a road where they're going to figure out who I am. Right? As if that's not a good thing. But it's the lentil soup problem, man. It's the lentil soup problem. We all think through varied experience, somebody at some point or whatever happens, something scares you that makes you think that if you show the world this, it, they're just going to, it's going to be over. You know what I mean? That if, uh, if only the world knew, then the pitchforks would come out kind of a thing, right? No. And what's funny is, you know, in that, in that, uh, it is a learning process. It's just something you have to pr- try to practice every day, making yourself vulnerable because vulnerable, I have a very hard time saying that word. Um, because as, as you saw in that, that short story, you know, um, I forget who it was. Was it Xena? Uh, Crates, um, you know, comes up and smashes the bowl of lentil soup, right? Because he sees him hiding it. And that's kind of like breaking down your walls and barriers. That's kind of what I'm trying to do here for you right now is I'm trying to smash your bowl of lentil soup, right? I want you to see that it's nothing to be ashamed of, that nobody gives a shit, honestly. Nobody gives a shit. That may be a little bit nihilistic, like saying it that way, but if you need to think of it in that way for now, just to get yourself over the the fear of looking at it, then say that because it is fairly true. Most people don't give a shit. (laughs) you know what I mean most people don't care enough about what's going on with you to really kind of put that much emotional investment into oh my god they're this or that or they did this or that they just don't care right right most people are too (laughs) self-absorbed right and so it's you don't have to worry about that aspect of it when he smashed the bowl of lentil soup nobody even looked right but he still ran (laughs) Zeno ran away like as, as the bowl smashes and everybody sees it, he runs before anybody can look, right? Not realizing that nobody even fucking looked. I mean, he gave two shits. You know? And that's, in a, that's a metaphor for what we all do through our whole life. Imagine doing that your whole life and then getting to the end of your life and realizing you never actually spoke your truth. And that maybe like I was doing, you went through relationships that were unsatisfying, emotionally unavailable or actually unavailable. And kept yourself in a state of limbo your whole life. Or maybe you did find somebody that fits you kind of, but not fully because you never actually enunciated who you really are. And so you end up at the end of your life, 70 years down the road, in either a broken marriage or one that's completely unhappy where you can't even be around each other. Uh, and as you're sitting on your deathbed, you're thinking, man, I really wish I could do that again. But what are the regrets people talk about on their deathbed? The things not said. Truth is not spoken. Love not shown. Because that's what you are. Pure, purified and distilled, you are love, man. The things you hide from, the things you run away from, turn you into a monster, a wicked thing that's insecure, that then takes that insecurity out in the world. And it is your responsibility to sort through Whatever specifically makes you feel like a monster, makes you feel like you're too ugly to show the world, makes you feel like Frankenstein. 
Because the thing that we all need to realize is that we all are that deep down. We all have that conception of ourselves inside. That we are, are at some level, are scared of the real us. Um, because we're scared of what, of, of what that vulnerability entails. Of what the world could do to something when it's completely unsheet. Un- when it's seen for what it is. But here's the trick, guys. I think the people that are actually the most sustainably successful, that's all they do. That is, And that's how rare it is to be able to do this. That's how hard it is. You can find many examples of people that have implemented this kind of strategy in their life. That have seen nothing but exponential growth after the fact. And have gotten all the things you're probably dreaming of right now. Because they led themselves to that. Because they made themselves vulnerable. They showed somebody who they really were. And when somebody actually sees who you really were, that's when they actually know, oh, that's somebody special. That's somebody that's willing to be vulnerable. That's somebody that can take a chance, can take a risk. And that's the kind of person you have to be to do something meaningful in this world. And I also think those are the kind of figures that we should idolize. I think those are the kind of monuments we need to erect. It's to the individuals that did the soul work the deep internal work to make something not only for, to not only make themselves better, but in by making themselves better, raising all, but raising the, the boats in their community, right? Raising their family up, raising their extended family up, raising the community that makes, that enables that family to, to, to live and prosper up, right? In whatever practical means possible. But in, in starting at the center of that, which is you doing that work. And then as you feel like you're able to take on more, as you become a, a thing that's, that's better at dealing with chaos, uh, you can expand that out. Kind of like this, right? That this process in many ways has been for me. But that as, I, as it comes to fruition, as I experience kind of the rewards from this, I think it's a message that people need. And so I can push that out. You see what I'm saying? And I can try to expand that to my family and my friends. And, and, and if that's all it ever goes to, that's fine, Right? I don't, because I, because of the other part of that too, is like trying not to allow your expectations to corrupt the real you, right? Don't let what you're dreaming, like the fact that you want all the same things that everybody wants, you know, the cars and the houses and all that shit. That's a natural thing you want. Don't allow that to stop you from speaking your truth though, right? I know so many people, especially when I worked at Amazon, that completely traded away who they were for an identity that would allow them to go up in the structure. Those people know exactly who they are. They won't speak their truth. They won't say what they really think. They'll tell you what they think HR wants them to say. They'll give you an elevator speech, a tagline or whatever it is, whenever you actually try to have a deep conversation. Not everybody, right? But I had a lot of individuals that did this that showed me this when I was there. That people are very willing to kind of conform because if, if you give them shiny things, right? Give them a carrot, right? Put that carrot, dangle that carrot in front of their head and they'll trade away who they really are. Use the stick, smack them in the ass, and they're actually going to turn on you. <laughs> so what, what what a lot of companies have figured out is like, let's just dangle a carrot forever, right? And just hold the stick like an inch away from their ass. You know what I mean? So never actually hitting them, but keeping them in this fear state where they have to run faster, 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 and don't give them the carrot either, right? Because if you give them the carrot, then they get rest. So it's like, it's this very, anyway, that's, that's I'm going down a different rabbit hole there. <laughs> um but it is this problem where this is incentive structure in the professional world and in, in, in this consumer society to kind of trade away who you are for the conception of, of 
for the popular conception of the good life, which is a generic form that doesn't fit anybody very well. It's kind of like buying a generic size swimsuit or something. Like it's going to fit one person perfectly, but but there's four billion people on the planet or however many people there are. Like most of those people, it's not going to fit very well. You know, in many ways, that's what we try to do constantly. We, we, we fall into this trap of trying to find a one fits one size fit all solution for the world and humanity, even though it's the most complicated thing we have ever seen. That's why you see this simplification happening politically, where everything seems to be getting simplified, 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 but more radical as it's more simple, more simple, more radical because the world isn't complicated. And so as, as you try to implement more simple ideas on the world, you'll realize you actually have to implement them because they're not natural truths. You have to force them into being, you have to create that in the process of creating and <laughs> forcing those things is how millions of people die. We have examples of that throughout the entire 20th century. If you want to find them, hundreds of millions of people were killed in exactly that way because they didn't conform, because they didn't fit into the conception. One box. Dangerous games we play, guys. Vulnerability is a much more dangerous thing than we like to admit. This is, this is an existential problem that you have to recognize in yourself. It is the problem. Like he was saying in this, there's a couple problems that Stoics appreciate, right? That you need to work on. One is dying freely. This is the other one, being vulnerable. I think another one is truth, if I'm not mistaken. Being honest, having the courage to speak your truth, which connects to vulnerability, right? All of this. You start to see how an archetype of an individual develops in your head. Oh, shit. There's this person that's very strong. That has a lot of courage, that is honest and truthful, that knows who they are, that can see where they're going. And I can be that. But in order to get there, I have to practice those things. I have to be honest. I have to go deep inside and see where I'm lying to myself. I have to show that to the world. You know, I have to face my fears. I have to be the fe- thing that's willing to go and walk through the fire. Once you are, you'll be the thing that can. It's the only difference. only difference between people that can't walk through fire and can is their will. That's it. No individual person is different than you in that sense. You have all of those same tools. That is the equity in our experience I'm talking about. You were never born broken. This concept of being born broken is something that's dangerous. That I think is instilled in a lot of us. That we all in some ways think we convinced ourselves because of how many different ways we've been shown that you can be disjointed from the popular conception of what the perfect human being is, that we all think that we're born broken in some way. I have talked to so many different people and they all have the same excuses. This, this happened to me or that happened to me, or I would just, I, I have this issue that I can't get over or whatever it is. It's always something. It's like, oh, okay. That makes you special, huh? That's any different than everybody else. Cause what I can gather, that's what everybody says. So what makes you different? The only thing that makes you different is choosing it. You can do that. So what's stopping you? Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And part of that process too is learning to love yourself. Like I said, coming to terms with the fact that you were born exactly the way you were meant to be. 
I believe that regardless of what kind of form you come into this world, it's hard to describe in certain aspects, right? I, mean, I don't know. Let's, let's try to think of an example, like, a, like a, a young child having cancer or something like that. There's a lot of examples of pain and suffering in this world that are hard to explain away. But I think part of the reason why um, we view those kind of ailments as, as defects is because we view death itself as separate from life, not a parse part of the process. And so that in many ways, the whole song, you know, only the good die young rings true there. But the best way to conceptualize that, a young child being born with cancer or having cancer at a young age and dying, is to conceptualize it as being that is a, a soul that is so close to perfection that it needs to be taken back right away. That it doesn't need to go through this journey, like I've explained. It doesn't need to be tricked out of knowing what it is. It already knows what it is. And so the process of death that is part of that life, you know, that doorway is a lot closer for them. See how much more beautiful that is? How it's not a process outside of the world. It's not a cancer on inside of the world, but that you can view everything that happens in this world as a, a part of it in some way. And that in many ways, those children, you know, if you've ever been to a children's hospital or something like that, if you go, if you ever go interact with those people that are in that kind of spot that are that young and are experiencing that kind of pain and suffering. That you'll see the kind of purity I'm talking about. That you will never see more bravery. <laughs> it chokes me up, man. You will never see something more brave than a child going through that kind of fight. And you have that capacity too. That child has that capacity. You have that capacity. And it makes me so emotional because it's... Because it's beautiful in a weird way that 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 if you take the proper perspective you really can figure out you can find the beauty in the world without trying to run away from the suffering that you don't have to run away from it that you can look at it for all it is and not only can you you keep yourself from running away but you'll actually find the meaning in it But if you look at that suffering, you'll find the point of it. <laughs> and that's kind of what I've been trying to do. That's what I've been doing in this process. And it's been decades long work. That if you're, if you're listening to this and you want to start this process, I promise you this will not be easy. And I don't say that to discourage you. I say that so you prepare yourself. Because this will be the hardest thing you have ever done. I promise you that. I promise you that. But know that in doing, in making that choice, you are separating yourself from the majority of people. That the thing that makes people different, that makes them special, that makes them excel in this world is that they choose it. They choose to excel. 
instead of waiting for the world to show them that they're the thing that was always worthy of everything. Instead of sitting in their ego and being a lazy fucking thing, like most people are. That if you choose to take on this, 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 this work, that you will, I guarantee you, succeed. And that you will be something, you'll be a force to be reckoned with. That you're, you're embodying the archetype of the hero. You're Odysseus going out on an adventure, you know. For me, you're Simba and Lion King going back to Pride Rock. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you go find the movie that speaks to you and you'll find your meaning, man. And I hope that what I've created here is a structure in which you can go back and depend on. That you can go back and rely on. That if you're feeling lost or scared or anything like that, or you need somebody to talk to, or you just need to hear that you're not alone in the struggle, because there's so few people that do this that you will feel alone the whole time. That maybe you don't have to feel that kind of loneliness. You can go back through this podcast or whatever I make of this. Maybe I want to do a book or something, right? But And you can you can use this structure to kind of guide yourself along that path so that when you're scared and beaten down and you don't know which way to turn, all you have to do is press play. That's what I hope for. That's what the purpose of this is. And it's really weird that that I didn't know that starting it. That if you go listen to that first episode, I had no idea what I was starting when I started this. Zero idea. I just knew something was telling me I had to start this. And this is what came out of it. God, that's beauty. And that's the Unfounded Podcast signing off. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this, guys. Lots of love. Bye-bye.